to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. The book of Philippians, it is a book of encouragement, and it's a great book, but it's called the Epistle of Joy for good reason. It's one of those books that um, if you understand the background, then you'll understand, uh, you know, how this is so applicable to your life because uh, Paul is in prison as he's writing this, and uh, he's telling, the, he's encouraging these believers in Philippi to just press on towards the prize. And uh, so I'll get into the background a little bit more, but Paul is, is basically, uh, you know, he's an encourager. He's called the Apostle of Joy, giving us the Epistle of Joy, and that's what we'll find throughout the book of Ephesians is this encouragement. There, it's mentioned, the idea of rejoicing or joy or be glad is mentioned 19 times. It's mentioned more times in this book, uh, you know, Per, per verses than any other book in the Bible. So it's a, if you are lacking joy, you've come to the right place. There is some great encouragement for you. So stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That's as far as we got last week. So verse 1, we will hopefully get to verse 2 and a half today. No, I'm just kidding. But we'll try and get to verse 11. But let's read our text this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you, all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for, for you all with the affliction of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ, Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you will speak to us about, Lord, this morning. We ask you to come. We ask you to quicken our hearts, Lord to be hearers of your word, that your spirit would speak very clearly to us. And we thank you in advance for, for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, we pray for just change. We want to be transformed. We want to be renewed today. Give us your heart. Give us your eyes. Give us your mind. And then give us your hands and feet, Lord, that would, we would do the work that you have called us to. So come now, teach us, Lord, we pray, and we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How many believe that life is all about perspective? Anybody believe that? So, a couple of you do, cool, that's awesome. So, uh, so I have an illustration for you this morning. I have a, an image that I'm going to put up on the screen, and it's, it's a glass of water. Now... There's two kinds of people that will describe this glass of water. One will be the glass is half empty. The other will be that the glass is half full. 
How many of you in this, in this way would honestly, I'm, I'm not asking you to give me the, the, the right answer, but how many of you honestly would say that this glass is half empty? How many of you? It is. It obviously is. How many of you would say that it's half full? Are you being honest? Are you being real? Okay. You, you know the difference, right? It's all about perspective because both of that, those perspectives are true. It's just a matter of the way that your mind works and how you, how you think. It's really a matter of perspective. You see, if, if the glass is half empty, that tends to be a pessimistic kind of mindset. If the glass is half full, that tends to be an optimistic mindset. You see, there is a negative and a positive mindset in every circumstance, true or false. True, right? Paul, the apostle, is a glass is half full kind of man. And we see that clearly because we understand the circumstances in which he's writing this, this epistle. He's in prison. He is, uh, you know, it, imprisoned and he is telling these people, listen, you need to be concerned about your perspective, not your circumstances. Your circumstances will change, but your perspective will not if you, don't, if you don't allow it to. Your perspective is how you live your life. And he's saying, listen, you need to have a positive outlook. So much so that Paul would write this. Listen to these verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Perhaps you've heard the verse. Perhaps you've memorized the verse. But here's eight, an optimistic view of life. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Paul kept a positive mindset, not because it helped him in life, but because he truly believed the word of God, folks. He truly believed what he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says this, for we know that all things are, work together for those, all things who love God. Let, let me read that again. And we know for that for, I memorized this a different verse, but, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul says this, we know. He didn't say, I know. He said, we know. We know what? What do we know? We know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control. We know that God is sovereign and that no matter what is going on in my life, God is working it out for the good. Do you believe that this morning? Listen to me. If, if you truly believe that, then you will be a glass is half full kind of person. Because no matter what you're going through in life, you're going to say, God's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's at work in my life. He is doing something good, even though I can't understand it. And Paul is in a circumstance that many of us would be complaining about. We would be writing, maybe, maybe the letter would be different if you were writing it. Maybe it would be, you know, you don't understand how, how difficult this is. You don't understand how bad the food is. You don't understand how, how, how brutal I'm being treated. You don't understand this or that. And Paul says, I don't care about any of that. Because I know that God delivered me to Rome for a purpose. And it seems like the enemy is winning, but he is not. Because God is in control. And I believe that God is working everything out for my good. 
You want to change your perspective in life? You want to be optimistic rather than pessimistic? Read the scriptures and believe them. Read the scriptures and believe them. Apply them to your life. The Apostle Paul said, listen, I have, I have been the pessimistic guy, right? My name used to be Saul. I was very pessimistic, religious, all these kinds of things. But since I had a collision with Christ, my perspective changed. And Jesus Christ came into my life and he made me, he made me understand that there is something greater. There is light at the end of the tunnel always, no matter what I'm experiencing. And so what an amazing thing. Paul is encouraging you and I to understand that no matter what we're going through, whether joy or misery, peace or calamity, if we have the right perspective, we will have joy. We will have joy. It's not a matter of if. We will have joy. Now, as we come to Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11 this morning, we're going to consider seven ways in which we can find joy. It's all about perspective. It's about you know, some of it's about remembering what Christ has done in your life. Some of it's about engaging in the work of Christ. You know, there's, there are all kinds of things, all different, all kinds of little hidden things in our lives that bring us joy that we're not even un, we're unaware of. And so I want to remind you this morning of some of those things. There are seven in our text. Firstly, Paul reminds us about the joy of inception, the joy of inception in verse uh, really verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Listen, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul is the author. Timothy is his protege, but Timothy is also with him. Timothy would also be the one that will deliver this letter to to the Philippians there. But Paul is using a common greeting in verse 2. One of those things, it's really kind of both a Greek and a Hebrew uh, a greeting, he says, grace and peace to you, you know, and, and that's how they would greet each other in these cultures, grace, that's a Greek greeting, peace, that is a Hebrew greeting, and, and he's doing this just, you know, it would seem as if it were just, you know, a, a simple greeting, but it is not, and in fact, this is incredible theological truth, it's been said, and you perhaps have heard it, but You will never experience the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. There is a theological theme in this greeting. Paul uses all kinds of worldly things to explain theological things. And it's the Holy Spirit really through Paul. Paul was a a brilliant guy and everything. We don't want to take anything away from him. But the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote Philippians. And in every one of Paul's letters, you'll you'll always see if, if he mentions these two twins together, grace and peace, it's always in that order. It's always grace first and then peace. Always grace first. Why? Because Paul understands the importance of grace. Without grace, you cannot have peace, folks. Listen, there's so many people in the world who are trying to reach the peace of God without the grace of God. And what that makes a person is a miserable religious person is what happens. Because you can't reach God You can't attain to that place of peace with God without Jesus Christ, folks. Jesus said it himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no way to come to the Father except through me. You have to come through me. I am literally the grace of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and also verses 16 and 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, listen, full of grace and truth. On to verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Listen, inception in the Christian faith starts with grace, folks. Your inception, the beginning of your faith, starts with grace. In fact, Paul said it in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's by what? Not faith through grace. No, no, it's by grace through faith. And that's a gift from you, even your faith. Even your faith is grace, folks. Your entire Christian life is bathed in grace. And here's the thing is, you might be here today and you might be thinking, man, I, I, I hear what he's saying, but I'm still lacking joy. That, that's because perhaps you're in pursuance uh, you, you've abandoned grace and you've started to walk in a workspace relationship with God. You can't do enough. You can't be enough. You can't, uh, all these kinds of things and you're missing joy. Listen, perhaps you need to get back to the basics, the very beginning. When you remember that your salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did and it was a gift to you. It was grace. It was unmerited favor for you. That God didn't see you and go, oh, I think they're, I think they're good enough to die for. No, no, he said, you know what? I'm going to die for them even though they aren't good enough to die for. That's what grace is. And so God wants you to know today if you're missing joy, maybe perhaps you just look back to the beginning of your relationship when it was all about grace, when you realize, hey, I can't make it on my own. I need Jesus Christ. And that will be a, a, a continual source of joy for you, the joy of your salvation. You realize that it's by grace through faith. You're lacking joy. Look backward to your inception. Secondly, we're going to look at the joy of recollection. Paul goes on here, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You might recall that last week Paul had uh, no intentions of going to Philippi. If you missed the message, you can pick it up on our website or whatnot. But listen, Paul had no intentions of going to Philippi. He didn't he wasn't going to go there. He was trying to go to Asia, but he was inhibited. The, the Holy Spirit, he resisted Paul and said, no, you don't go that way. There was doors shut to the north. There was doors shut to the south. The Lord was saying, I want you to go to Philippi. And so what does he do? He gives Paul a dream, a vision. He sees this man in Macedonia that is saying, come help us. And so uh, Paul being kind of, <laughs> you know, understanding, hey, maybe the Lord's pointing me in that direction. I should probably listen. Uh, you know, he, he, he goes. He goes to, he doesn't know where he's going. You know, Macedonia is kind of a big place. I don't know if you know that, but it's kind of a big place. But what he does is he goes to the chief city in, in, in Macedonia. Of course, I'm going to go to the biggest place around. I'm going to see what the Lord does. I'm in obedience to God, going to a place I do not want to go, right? And he goes, and all of a sudden, through very, very weird circumstances, by the way, a church starts with two people. Really, a woman at, by a river who wasn't even from Philippi. She's from Thyatira, Lydia. And then also, Paul gets, you know, later he gets thrown in jail a couple days later because this slave girl is following him along and, you know, she's saying, these are the servants of the most high gods, you know, and he gets tired of hearing that and he casts a demon out of her, he gets thrown in jail. And uh, in, in jail there, Paul, uh, you know, begins to praise God, as you know. And 
an earthquake happens, the jail doors open, the stocks fall off his hands, and he is free to go. No, he's waiting on the Lord. God, what would you have me to do with this opportunity? And the prisoner, prison guard there was about to kill himself. And Paul said, hey, we're all here. And of course, he takes Paul home, and guess what? The whole household gets saved. So, so there starts this, this work. Paul is remembering that work, folks. He's remembering back, and he'll never forget that. He'll never forget that it wasn't by his will that Philippi was established. It was by the will of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to go, folks. He went because the Holy Spirit told him to. And listen, that will be forever a source of joy for Paul. Why? Because it was not something he did. It was something the Holy Spirit did. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, and you're wondering, is this God or is this me? Do this. Just stop. Stop for a second and wait on God and allow him to begin to do that work. And the Holy Spirit will direct you. If you're supposed to be going in a certain direction, the Holy Spirit will give you confirmation. But I know that uh, it's very, sometimes the discerning of God's uh, will and, and the understanding of my will and how those two intermingle gets kind of confusing. Sometimes I wonder, is this really God? Is this really me? Are those my thoughts or are those his thoughts? Here's what I will tell you. Stop, just seek the Lord, and then as he opens up doors, walk through them. It will require faith. It will require faith to be in, in the middle of his will. Paul wasn't, he was trying to go one way, door shut. Trying to go another way, door shut. He's asking God, what, what, what's going on here, Lord? And the Lord says, I want you to go that way. And what did he do? He stopped, he listened, and then he went. If you want to find out the will of God, just do that. Just stop for a second. Start to pray. Ask God, give me wisdom, Lord. You know I'm confused. <laughs> you know I need a lot of help, God. <laughs> Please, just, just open up the heavens. You know, help me to understand. And he will because he has a will for you. He created good works for you to walk in. The good work that he created for Paul was to go to Philippi and start a church. And that's exactly what he does. And he's remembering that. And it, it will be forever a source of joy. Just like when I came to Columbia and planted a church or whatever it is that you have, the Lord has called you to do. You'll never, it doesn't matter what circumstances you'll find yourself in, nobody can strip that from you. You have that forever. It's a testimony of the grace of God working in your life and your obedience to the Holy Spirit. If you are lacking joy, listen, remember, recollect what Christ has done. Recollect what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Uh, thirdly, we move on. Paul goes on in verse 4 there, and he talks about the joy of supplication. He said, I'm always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Paul was joyful as he thought about this church in Philippi. Prayer was a huge part of the Apostle Paul's life. It was a source of joy for him, particularly as he remembered this church in Philippi and the work that the Spirit had done. He'll go on to tell us how important prayer is. As Listen, understand this. As Paul is sitting, pinning this letter, understanding that at any moment there is an eminent judgment coming down on him, that he could be called before Caesar and he will be beheaded, folks. And he understands that, there, that it's capital punishment. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. He understands that, you know what? he may have to give up his life as he goes before Caesar. But listen to the words that he pins here in this letter to these people awaiting that judgment. He says, 
in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does this guy know what he's talking about? Does he understand what I'm going through right now? Does he understand that there is this impending, you know, prognosis or diagnosis or situation in my life, and he tell me to be, not be anxious? He understands. He was there. <laughs> this guy was on his he was on death row, as it were. And he's saying, don't be anxious. Why? Because he knows what the peace of God feels like. He understands what the peace of God feels like. In the midst of heavy trial, he understands that God can bring a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so he says, guard your heart and your mind with what? With this understanding. With this understanding that God's in control I'm going to wait on him. He can, he can move the mountains, folks. He can split the seas. He can deal with my situation. And I will wait on him. Paul says, listen, that right there, that, that, that understanding, that this idea of just thinking about this church and praying for them brings me joy because Paul believed in prayer. He believed that prayer makes a difference. And we say that. But do we really believe it? We say, yeah, I, I'm praying. Hey, hey, I'll pray for you. But do you really believe in the power of prayer? Paul did. He's seen God do incredible things. And so it becomes this prayer, this joy that he gets is out of a result, not simply for the people, but because of the, the thing called prayer, that he understands that he's engaging with God who can do something about every situation. So it's a source of joy for him. Maybe, uh, you know, th th and this idea, uh, we're going to talk about prayer twice in this. Uh, Paul gets on, goes on to pray specifically in verses 9 through 11. This thing right here that he's speaking of is more of the joy of supplication. What is that? There's different kinds of prayer. The joy of supplication, the joy of, of coming before the Lord and supping with him. The idea of communing with the Lord, it's conversation, it's relationship. I'm supping with the Lord. That makes me joyful. We're going to see that there is also a different kind of prayer later in these verses that is a prayer of intercession. That is making, in, that is making petition on behalf of specific people, like he's going to be praying specifically for the Philippians. But Paul did both. He rejoiced in his own supplication with the Lord, but he also was an intercessor. Listen, you don't have to fret or worry about any situation. Just go to the Lord, sup with him. Just remember that you can sup with the Lord. You can have supplication. You can pray to the Lord and know that he's going to work everything out for your good. Go on, verse 5. We're going to look at the joy of participation. Paul, writing to these Philippians, says, because of your, his joy and prayer and all, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, some of your versions of the Bible say something different there. They might say, because of your fellowship in the gospel. That word there, participation or part, partnership or um, fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. We, we've heard that word before. Oh, yeah, koinonia. Oh, yeah, it's just when we all get together and slap hands and say hallelujah and all that kind of stuff. No, it's more than that. It's more than that. I think that we have dumbed down the, the concept of koinonia, of partnership. It, it liter this word literally means 
to, to come together and to do life with one another, to have a common goal in mind. Like it's more than just us breaking bread and hanging out, right? You know, and talking about sports and the weather and all this kind of stuff. This is literally a deep communion with one another where you are literally burying your lives before each other. It's a partnership. I'm partnering with you. You're partnering with me. We're partnering in the gospel, of course. But the gospel at work in you and I, that's the partnership. What Paul is saying is, is listen, we're, we're going to come together and we are going to be transparent. We're going to live compassionately. We're going to, you know what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in your life. I mean, and that's the way that this was, even though Paul hadn't been to this church in 10 to 12 years. He knew what was going on in the church, and they knew what was going on in his life. Did you know that you don't have to be, you can have koinonia and not even be in the same place. It's a partnership with each other. It is a, a literal intention that says, I, I care about you so much, I'm going to keep in tab with you. I'm going to make sure I understand what's going on with you. I'm going to be transparent with you. You be transparent with me. And that's what was happening. That's koinonia. That's what the church is called to, folks. Koinonia. Not just simply, you know, training, but also sharing. A partnership. Paul is telling these, you know, he's thankful. So thankful for the partnership of this church. Not just in their prayers. But also, this church gave financially to Paul to help him further the gospel. They were truly partnered with him. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20, Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. They're doing life together, aren't they? And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. This church began to financially support Paul so that he could further the gospel. They believed in the gospel that much that they would invest in Paul and the whole, what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life to, to, to partner with him financially. He says in verse 16, even in, Ma even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To the God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The conclusion of the book of Philippians, folks. Paul is saying... You partnered with me to the glory of God. There was a koinonia fellowship. There's a sharing in our relationship with one another that is both, you know, transparent and real, but also there's also a, a financial component to it. Hey, when you're in need, I'm going to help you out. This is what the body of Christ should look like. Listen, the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, when there is real need, I stress when there's real need, when there's real need, the body of Christ should supply that need. Why? Because we're in partnership with each other in the gospel, in the good news. God takes care of his own, right? I mean, and yet oftentimes the church is bailing on 
fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and just say, oh, I'm sorry you're going through that, but, you know, i got to get to the game, you know. <laughs> Stuff's busy and all. And, and really, ultimately, we're not partnering the way we should. And it's a sad thing because, you know, it, it's not about finances, not about any of that. It's about really genuine, true fellowship. It's about koinonia, what Christ came to die to give us. And that is true communion with one. He wants us to, listen, he said it in the high priestly prayer. He said, listen, just as you and I, Father, are one, I want them to be one too. I want them to be one. And yet, what do we have? We have a fractured body that essentially is all about its own interests, not about Christ's interests, about its own interests. We're trying to build our own kingdoms and our own little, uh, you know, whatever denominations or non-denominations or whatever they are. We're trying to build all these things because, you know what, it's about me. No, it's not. Listen, if you will take a second and you will humble yourself and you will really realize all that you've been given, Christ has given you everything that you have. He is participating with you. And he's calling you to participate with others. He's calling you to partnership with the body. Are you living solo? Are you in this together with other brothers and sisters? And are you doing life together for real? Listen, every once in a while, I'll get a person that will come through the doors of the church and they'll be like, man, where's the real fellowship? And I hear you. I know what you're saying. I know where it is. It's in there. But you have to let it out. You know that? If the Holy Spirit is in you, koinonia is in you. But you have to engage in that. Like it's by grace through faith, yes. It's by faith. You have to engage in it. It's not just going to come out, folks, because there is still a lot of you in there, isn't there? The pride of not really wanting people to know what's going on. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. Listen, I got so much going on in my life that sometimes even in worship, I just got to come to the altar and just pray, God, before I get in the pulpit. You know, I'm surprised, you know, at just, just at, that we're not just begging each other to pray on a continual basis. Like, God, will you, just, will you just pray for me? I got so much going on, man. And some of you, we have that relationship. We're praying for one another. I know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in my life because we have that koinonia going on. Listen, I'm telling you that if you feel alone, it's because you purposely have made it that way. You know that? You've purposely set yourself aside and said, well, koinonia is a little too intimate for me. <laughs> I don't think I want people to know that much, you know. People just aren't really sensitive with information. Really? You're trusting the Holy Spirit. He'll bring the right people in your life. And I know I'm hitting a chord here because I know that many of you feel that way and you, you long for that. So let's have that. Let's really have that. Let's not, like, act like, you know, hey, everything's good, man. You know, my life's falling apart, but I'm high-fiving you on the way out the door. No. Let's be real, right? Let's be real with one another. And listen, if you're being Eeyore, I'm just going to tell you, dude, come on, you're being Eeyore. Let's, let's snap it up. We've got to change the perspective. We've got to get back to this optimistic perspective that says Christ can do anything. And he's going to do everything in your life. you just got to keep your eyes on him. So sometimes you're going to have to slap me and say, dude, what are you doing? Come on, pep it up, bro. You know, so Paul says there is joy in that, though. Is there not joy in true koinonia fellowship? When you are participating together in the gospel, that is an awesome thing, man. Paul says, listen, if you're lacking joy, here's a source for you. Get back to true fellowship, koinonia fellowship, where you are partnering with one another. And in so doing, you're partnering with the gospel. Maybe that's even financially, right? 
whatever the case might be. Be in true fellowship with one another. That is a source of joy. Fifthly, we find the joy of anticipation. If you do not have this verse highlighted in your Bible, underlined, circled, and all the above, then you need to do that right now because this is a great verse. It's verse 6, Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There is no greater joy in all the world, folks, than to think, to know that one day I will not have struggles. One day I will not be the way that I am, and neither will you. If you're in Christ today, there is a completion date. You are not complete right now. You are in progress. You are complete positionally before the Father. In other words, he, when he sees you, he sees his son. He sees perfection. And yet, as we live in this body, as we are, we're trapped in this body of death, as Paul would say, we're in progress. We're under construction. And so what you see right now is not necessarily what is going on in heaven and what God sees. But I am in progress of becoming more like Christ. So are you. You know, and, 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 and Paul is bringing us back to this idea that one day you will step out of this world, you will step into another world, and you will be transformed, completely changed. You will be perfect. No more struggle, no more pain, no more sorrow. You won't have any of this world on you anymore. But for the time being, we remind ourselves, he who has began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. I want you to understand this very important theological thing right here. He created the good work in you. It wasn't you. Remember, it was by grace. God began the good work in you. And I think that's so important when we think about, you know, the, this, this idea of, am I really saved? Am I, you know, I don't know if I am saved, I'm not saved. Am I really justified? You know, do I lose my salvation? Do I save my salvation? Listen, here it says that if God began that work in you, he's going to complete it, right? I mean, I, I don't think that, I mean, it goes against Scripture to say that God began a good work in me, but I messed it up. Listen, you messed it up a long time ago. So God began a good work in you, and he will complete it at the, at the day of Christ Jesus. He will do that work, folks. Maybe you're here and you're waffling. You're not sure. You're saying, man, I don't, you know, I'm not who I want to be. That's because you're under construction, eh? Right? You're under construction. But, but, but my thoughts and desires, I'm still struggling with these things. Yeah, I know. That's what grace is about, remember? He began the good work in you. And yeah, you're being changed, but man, there's things that are popping up in my life I didn't know were there. That's a good thing in the sense that God is refining me. Uh, but, but listen, there is no sinless perfection, contrary to many, many people's um, you know, beliefs on this earth. We will never, ever be complete here, right? You should be trending towards <laughs> becoming better, right? I mean, you, you, the Holy Spirit is working your life should be trending. You should be, you should be progressing, not digressing, right? But, but understand, it all lies in God's hands. He is the one that began the work, and he'll complete it, and he will. One day, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, he will say to you, enter into my rest. You're perfect. Come on in. Come on in. You're welcome. Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ has done. Listen, if you're lacking joy this morning, just remember 
anticipate one, that one day when you will step out of this body and step into perfection. Be encouraged, man. This too shall pass. Something that the Lord's been speaking to me about is it doesn't matter what I'm going through, it's going to be over at some point, right? And so while I'm in the midst of it, he's at work, and I'm just going to try and have joy through it. I can have joy through it because I know he's at work in it. And I'm going to just allow that anticipation of knowing that it will be over one day to overwhelm me. And I'm going to just let that joy come. Well, not only can you find joy in inception, recollection, supplication, participation, and anticipation, but you can also find joy in affection. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I believe Paul gets to the crescendo of the verses right here. The crescendo in verses 1 through 11 is this verse right here, 7. It is right for me to feel this way all about you because I hold you in my heart. It is about love, folks. When Jesus came, and he, and, he, and, he, and he really, he fulfilled the law, every dot, jot and tittle. He, he completed the law, and he left you with one law, and that is the law of love. And Paul is, is, is living in this law. He's saying, I'm just going to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, in so doing, I'm fulfilling all of the laws. It's about love. And if love is not the crescendo of your life, then you're missing the point of the gospel. Because it was for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love ought to be the premise that you're operating under. If you're operating under anything else, guilt, stress, whatever it is, I'm trying to be holy, all of those kinds of things, you're operating under the wrong premise. It ought to be, you ought to be operating under the premise of love. The, the idea that I am so loved that I so love God that my life looks like Jesus. That's the point. If you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, uh, listen, you will love your neighbor as yourself, and your life will look like Jesus. So let me just give you one simple thing. Just focus on love. Just focus on loving God. And if you love God, everything else in your life will fall in the line, as it should. But that isn't a promise that you won't go through problems. Paul's going through problems, and, and he loves the Lord, you know? And you're going through problems, and you probably love the Lord too. He's telling this church, Listen, I, 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 am, I have so much joy for my affections for you, man. You have a place in my heart. Now, that is, that is remarkable, and it demonstrates the, the true change that's happened in the Apostle Paul's life because, uh, you know, just prior to this, you know, I don't know how many years prior to this, but before his conversion to Christ, as Saul, the, the Pharisee, this guy... Uh, would never, ever say anything like this about a Gentile. These are Gentiles. These are, as it were, for the Jew, firewood for hell. They were to be avoided at all costs. They had a hatred for Gentiles. And Paul says, oh, hey, you're in my heart. I have affection for you. What happened? Christ happened. Christ happened. Christ changed his heart to such a degree that the people that he very much despised before, now he very much loves. They're in a, they have a place in his heart. Listen, don't think for a second that that person in your life right now that is 
just bothering you to the gills. Like you want to, you would, you're praying that God would take them off the face of the earth. You're like, Lord, break their teeth out. You know, the whole David thing. And, and, and yet, here's the thing. God can change the whole situation. And I promise you, he'll start with you. I promise he will start with your heart. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't love even your enemies, the problem is you. It's not them. So you start by saying, Lord, forgive me for how I'm dealing with these people. Will you come and change my heart? Paul said, man, I have such a great heart for you because you are partakers uh, with me in grace. Again, coming back to grace is the third time he's mentioned this. The, the idea of we didn't do anything to get here, and I'm just rejoicing that you're there with me. You're a partaker in grace. He said, listen, you, are, you guys have partnered with me in my imprisonment. And also the defense, the, the, um, the apology, the, ap the apologist here in them, in Philippi, they have partnered with Paul. They're defending the gospel. They are, they are confirming the gospel in the way that they're living their lives. <laughs> These people are really to Paul, they're, they're like, man, if I had a prized, you know, a church that I started, I would, I would point you to, I definitely wouldn't point you to the Corinth, right? But I would definitely point you to Philippi because these people, they're partnered in the gospel. They've been transformed. They're partakers of grace, man. They are apologists. They are defending the faith. They are an example of what it looks like to be Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I think that he, he would say that these people in Philippi were those kind of people. Hey, you want to see what Christ looks like? Look at Philippi. They're, they're a confirmation of the gospel in a person's life. Wow. Wow. May that be said of you and I, that the gospel has made such a transformation in our lives, and it should, by the way. Like you shouldn't even be remotely the same person when you come to Christ, even if you're a good person. You shouldn't be remotely the same person because the gospel is that good, and the gospel transforms lives. And, you know, these people have been transformed, and they are a confirmation of the power of the gospel in the life of a person. Paul says this, I'm just going to call God to the stand. I'm going to make him my witness, he said, as God is my witness. You've heard people say that. What are we doing? We're, we're invoking God in this situation. Probably not a smart thing to do if you're going to lie right then, okay? But, um, but if you're going to tell the truth and you're saying, because God knows all, right? He sees all and everything. And so Paul is saying, as God is my witness, man, I want you to know how much I yearn for you. I so desire to be with you. I have this affection, listen, this affection of Christ Jesus. The affection that Paul has for this church is the same affection he feels from Jesus towards him. Do you understand? Of Christ Jesus. He's saying, man, I have received so much affection from Christ that I, I want to give that same affection back out. And so I'm giving you the same affection that I received. Man, what if you did that? Huh. What if you gave the same affection for people as you received from Christ? What would that do in your life? What, how would that change situations? It'd be amazing, I promise. Paul said this, this, this concept of his affection for these people brought him so much joy. Why? It reminded him of the affection that Christ has for him reminds you of the affection Christ has for you. If you need a source of joy today, just remember. Let the, the, let the affection of Christ be, be reminded of what he's done for you, that he went to the cross, he bared the wounds of the cross for you. 
This brings us to our seventh and final source of joy in verses 9 through 11, where Paul prays a prayer of intercession, which becomes a source of joy for him. Look at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Intercession is a source of joy. It is, if you've ever interceded for somebody, if you've ever gone on behalf of somebody else and, and really petitioned God on their behalf and, and, and seen the Lord respond, it's a source of joy. I remember one time I was, uh, a friend of mine had called me up. This was several, several years, probably 10, 15 years ago. My friend called me up and he said, hey, uh, my wife and I, my wife had a miscarriage about like four or five weeks ago, you know, and man, you know, she's not getting over it, you know, I'm trying to move on, but, you know, he had no compassion whatsoever. But, so I understand where his wife was. She said, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm bailing on you. They're not Christians. He calls me and he says, man, we're getting a divorce, you know, I guess she doesn't like the way I'm handling this. And I said, well, how are you handling this? Well, I just think it happens, and you know, very, very intellectual dude, very analytical, like, hey, statistically speaking, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you probably shouldn't say that to your wife, I'm just saying, uh, you know, statistically speaking doesn't sound good when you're talking about, a, uh, you know, a, a loss of a child, right, because it's, it's personal, statistics don't, I don't want to hear about statistics in that situation, so my friend calls me up and he says, yeah, she, she's left me. We've, I've got her an apartment, you know, I'm just broken up over it. And I'm like, well, man, I'm really, I, I, and I was just totally just like grieving for the guy. I don't even know uh, he's my buddy, but, you know, normally, I, I don't know, I, was, I hadn't been a Christian super, super long, but I just had this incredible sense of just sorrow for him. And I said, well, let me talk to your wife. So I called her and I talked to her for a minute. And uh, we, had this, we had a good conversation, nothing, you know, life-transforming. But I, I, just, I was just like, oh, okay, you know, I'm sorry you're going through all of this. And I think he probably is too. He just doesn't know how to express it and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, and she's like, yeah, I don't really care. I'm leaving him, you know. And so I just start to pray. Like as soon as I got off the phone, I literally started to, to pray and just grieve for them. And I start to intercede. They're not Christians, I start to intercede on their behalf. You know what happened? The next day, the dude calls me up, and he said, dude, I have no idea what happened. But she came back to me crying, and she wants to be with me, and I'm, I'm just broken that I would treat her this way and all this kind of stuff. And I said, can I tell you what happened? I can tell you that God broke both your hearts and is the one bringing you back together, and you need to give him the glory for it. This is the power of intercession in people that don't even believe, folks. Like, you can intercede on people's behalf, and God loves them way more than you do, by the way. But when you start to intercede and invoke God into that situation, He moves. And they're still together to this day. Are they believers? No. But I believe that was one moment that they'll look back on and say clearly, there was something miraculous about that situation. And I pointed them to Jesus in that moment. Listen, and I have great joy. Now, listen, I, regardless if they came to Christ or anything, that is a source of joy for me forever. That I, I was, you know, that God heard my prayer. 
in that moment. And that as I was petitioning him for them, it grew my faith. It helped me to see, like, God really does care. He, does, he really does answer prayer. That's not coincidence. We don't believe in coincidence. We believe that God is at work in every situation, and, he, and there's a purpose for it. He doesn't orchestrate everything in the world. He doesn't orchestrate evil or anything like that, but he uses it, right? And so Paul is saying, man, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intercede for you. I'm going to petition. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to engage in this prayer of intercession for you. And there's five specific things I'm going to pray for you about. Look at the first thing. And, and they're, they're progressive, by the way. You can't get to the, to the one until you do the other. You have, it starts with step one, and then it goes to step two, then it, and you'll see what I mean. But here's what he, he starts with, that their love may abound more and more. So Paul has just got done saying, I've, I have so much affection for you because it's the affection of Christ. It's how I've received the affection, so I'm giving the affection back to you. Now, he says... And I'm going to pray that that affection falls on you. I want to pray that your love abounds more and more. Love is supreme in the Christian faith. It is absolutely supreme. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What kind of love is that? It's love when people are treating you good, you love them back, right? Yeah, that's, no, that's not the kind of love it is. It's the kind of love that when people aren't treating you good, you love them anyway. It's that, it's that complete love. It's not love based on how you're being treated. It's based on who you are. It's based on what Christ has done in you. You're choosing to love even the unlovable. That's God's love for you. He loved you when you were unlovable. Paul is saying, man, you know, we're not, I'm not, hey, I'll, I'll be the first one to say, I'm not there yet. I want to be there. And, and you're not there either, but we want to be there. So the prayer is, may we grow in love more and more. May we abound in that kind of love. May that love continue to fall. I can love, listen, there's certain people that just are really hard for me to love. And I, I want to. I, I mean, but it's circumstances that get in the way, right? No, they shouldn't. They should not. You should choose to love in, in, in that situation. And Jesus even said, man, love your enemies. When Jesus was, when those people were beating him, when they were slapping him, ripping his beard out, putting that thorn of a crown of thorns on his head, pounding those nails into the posts. I believe that he was loving them. In fact, he even demonstrates this when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every single one of them. It's that, it's that kind of love. Man, Lord, may my, Paul's prayer is, may your love abound more and more to be that kind of love. That even in the midst of being crucified, You'll be petitioning, you'll intercede on their behalf. That's, that's real love. That's, that's like God's kind of love. That's what Paul's saying, that he wants to see these people uh, grow in their love. As you grow in love, you grow in Christ. You can't grow in love without growing in Christ. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Again, yielding yourself. How do I become more loving? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Yield yourself more to the Spirit. Surrender yourself more to the Spirit of God, and you will abound in love. And, and you will abound in love for God and for others. That was Paul's prayer. Listen, if that isn't happening in your life, then maybe the grace of God hasn't made as much of an impact on you as you thought it did. Maybe, you're, you, maybe the gospel had made that initial impact, but it's sort of waned and you've diverted off to another path. Get back on the path of grace. Get back on remembering what Christ has done, that it's all about love. And you have to abound in love. That's his prayer, number one. 
Number two, he goes on and he says he wants to intercede for them that their knowledge and discernment might abound with love. So he starts with love and then he says, I want that love to, to grow into what? Knowledge and discernment. It starts with love because if you don't love God, you're not going to read his word, right? If you don't love God, you're not going to want to know more about him. So it's going to start with love. So that initial spark of, God, you really need, I want to know you more. I'm going to get in your word, and then he starts to unveil himself to you. And the more and more you read, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. God is an amazing God. And you start to get knowledge about what he's done. Paul is at a, at a point here where, where you know, he, he's even written this idea of that God can use anything in my life. Right? And so the more you practically experience that and you, you build your, your practical knowledge of who God is, you're going to naturally uh, grow in your love and you're going to naturally become more discerning. You're going to care more about, you know, doing the right thing than what's more beneficial for you in the moment. Right? You're going to have clearer understanding. You're going to see the world through God's eyes, through his lens, through his word. You're going to have a lot more clarity in your life. Paul's saying, man, if you, if you grow in, if you abound in love, then you're going to abound in knowledge and that's going to help you to grow in discernment. You're going to be able to understand what God's will is in your life. Not only that, but then as he goes on thirdly, he says, so that. Again, it's progressive. One to the other to the other. Love, knowledge, discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. <laughs> that, that is what is, listen, of greater worth and value. That's what that word excellent means of greater worth and value so that you can, yes, discern, but you can understand what has greater worth and value. Well, Jesus said it pretty plainly, what has greater worth and value. He said, store up your treasures in heaven. That has greater worth and value. You're going you're gonna to start to invest in what is excellent, what is excellent before the Lord, not things on this earth, things in heaven, things that matter, things that are eternal, things that will continue to go on and on and on for all of eternity. That is what is excellent. And Paul is saying, as you abound in your love, your knowledge, your discernment, you will pursue what is excellent. Your, your path in life will just start to pursue that which is excellent. It's not a career path. It's a life choice. It's a lifestyle of pursuing that which is excellent. He is excellent. And everything he does is excellent. And I want to be on that path. That's what he's saying. Abound in love so that your knowledge can grow, so that your discernment can grow, so that you can be on the path of excellence that will pursue him. And finally, he goes on fourthly. He, he tells us that the, the fourth thing he's praying for is for their purity and for that they will be blameless at the day of Christ. That word purity carries the idea of testing something in sunlight. Back in the biblical days, there were unscrupulous pottery you know, shops. I didn't know if you know that, but there were. Pottery back then was thin and it was... Uh, they probably still do this. Who knows? But um, they, they used to crack a lot. So what these, these shops would do is they would take this hard wax substance and they would put it in the cracks of this vase or whatever the, whatever the piece of pottery was. They would put it in a kilt. They would, they would, they would um, you know, whatever it is. What is it called when you put it in there? Cure it. They, you would, it would cure and you couldn't tell that it had cracked unless you, unless you put it up to light. And then you could clearly see that there was a filler in there. That's what the idea of this is. The idea is that 
you know, you might be pure, that there not, might not be some filler in your life that makes you appear to be something that you were not, that you were genuine, that you were pure, that there is no wax making you appear to be godly when you are not. It's not an appearance. It's real. His prayer is that you will be pure, that these, 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 these people in Philippi will be pure and that they will be blameless. Literally, that word, without um, offense, without offense. That I'm not offending somebody, that I'm not using my Christian liberties in a way that causes somebody to stumble, that I'm not uh, being offensive just for the sake of being offensive. And many, many Christians are great at that. You know, and their, their, uh, their, their intentions may be good, but listen, that, that is not, we don't want to offend to a, just for the sake of being offensive. Without offense. And, and listen, there are some people you just are going to offend no matter what. But if you're growing in love, then you are going to appeal by love and you will be, you know, if people get offended, then, you know, I, not to be offensive, but oh well. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're doing it in the right way. Christ is offensive, but let us not be offensive for the sake of being offensive. Paul says, I want you to be pure and I want you to be blameless for the day of Christ. One day, as I stated already, you will stand before the Lord. And listen, you're going to give an account for your life. Did you pursue those things that are excellent? What, what, is, what is the reality of your life? Let's boil it all down right here. Not, that will happen, by the way. And when, when it all comes to pa pass and the Lord looks at your life, and if you're a Christian, listen, this judgment I'm speaking about is not a judgment that determines your eternal state. That's already determined. That judgment already happened on the cross for you, right? You're, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But here's the deal is that there's a reward uh, ceremony or judgment, reward judgment really, that comes down to what did you do with your life after you came to Christ? You know, what are you doing with your life? And you might say like, well, man, that means I should just be in ministry and everything. Listen, you're, even at your job, you're in ministry, right? Ministry is not a position, it's a lifestyle. And, and, and no matter where you are, you're in ministry. Christ planted you there and he created good works for you to walk in there, right? Ephesians 2.10. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you're put in a place to do some work that God created you to do, and God's going to judge you one day on whether you did that work or not and how well you did that work and whether it was done in purity and in blameless and, you know, how you did that, and you're going to stand before him one day. And all, of, all the chaff is going to be blown away, and whatever you've done in purity and heart is what will be left, and there will be a crown for you waiting for you. That, that at the day of Christ, you will give a, you'll be give, you know, an account for these things. So here's the thing is, you know, we're not striving to have the biggest crown. We're striving to be, be used by the Lord. We're striving because we believe that God has a plan in our life and we want, it, we want to be used. Listen, at the end of the day, as C.T. Stead always said, you know, um, that, that uh, one day when this life passes away, only what's done for Christ will last. You know, and, and, and so if you're not pursuing that today, be encouraged to do that because one day you will stand before the Lord. You'll step out of this, this life into eternal life, and you want to you wanna step into that life in a, in a good way. Lord, I was used by you. Thank you, Lord, because he, he does the work. This leads us to our fifth point of intercession, that 
they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. The emphasis is on the word fruit. The emphasis is on the word fruit. We understand that righteousness comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how you're righteous. You can read Hebrews chapter 11 later, and you can read about the hall of faith and how everybody in that, everybody mentioned in that chapter is exercised faith in some way, shape, or form, and that's how they became righteous. We understand that. We can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It's a gift from God, and we activate it by faith. But there is a fruit of righteousness. There, you can see righteousness in somebody's life. There's a specific fruit the Bible defines for us. Anybody know what that is? What is the fruit of righteousness? Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. Listen. And the effects of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all uh, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James chapter 3, verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown, listen, in peace by those who make peace. The, the fruit of righteousness is peace. Are you righteous? Won't you have peace? Threefold peace. Number one, peace with God. That's the peace. That, Christ came to give us all three. But that's the peace that matters, the peace with God. Do you have peace with God today? It's a fruit of righteousness. If you have peace with God, then you will also have the fruit of peace with others. Christ came to reconcile you to the Father, but also to reconcile you to one to another. Is there somebody in your life you need to get right with? There's somebody in your life that you need to, listen, hey, there are people that, you know, you, you can do your best, but, you know, there is no reconciliation. But are, is there somebody there in your life right now that you need to, you need to go to and, and say, listen, let, let's put this stuff behind us. I'm a Christian, and, I, and, and Christ has given me peace, and I want to be at peace with you. The Bible says do all that you can to be at peace with all men. Do what you can do. You can't make somebody be at peace with you. But listen, if you're living right now in a situation where you're not at peace with somebody and you can do something about it, you need to. You need to do it today. Thirdly, we have peace within. Because of what Christ has done for us, we have peace within ourselves. Listen, I, I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but I know I'm not what I was. And I know that one day I will be everything he wants me because he's faithful. And he who has began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just this incredible study, Lord, the seven ways that we can find uh, joy. And we pray, Father, that you would just help us, each and every one of us this morning, Lord, to just remember uh, the, these points, God, to, to remember Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and how you can use these things in our lives. Father, I pray um, as you have spoken here today in each, each and every one of our lives that if there's anyone here this morning that has not received the grace of God, which is Christ Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus, that you would just help them this morning, Lord, to call out upon your name, that, that 
they might be saved. Your word tells us that you will by no means cast us out. We will call upon your name. So we just want to give an opportunity this morning, Lord, for anyone who does not have that peace, peace with God, that peace with others and that peace within that comes through calling upon Jesus as Savior. You just help them even right now to confess this prayer. Father, I'm a sinner, and I believe that Christ died for me, that he rose again from the dead for me. I'm putting my faith in him today. I want joy in my life. I want peace. Will you come into my heart? Will you make me a Christian? I turn away from you, Lord. I turn away from my sin, Lord. I turn to you. And I ask you to become my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And Father, for anyone here this morning, God, that is, again, lacking. Maybe they've diverted from grace. Maybe they are suffering in silence, and yet there is great joy that they could have. Would you come even right now? And I just want to pray over them, Lord, that you would just meet them in a special way this morning. That Romans 8.28 would become a light to them, Lord, it would be a, a light into their feet and a lamp unto their path, Father, and that you would help them to see that you're at work and that we can sit and rejoice because no matter what we're going through right now, it will pass one day. And the only thing that will matter is how we got through it, and it's going to be by your strength, by your might. And so we just pray for your Holy Spirit even now, Lord, to just blanket us, cover us, strengthen us, be with us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.